the choices that you make early on in your career will undoubtedly have an effect on your future success. You want to make sure that the decisions you make now, your future self will thank you for. Welcome to the White Coat Academy podcast, your source for all things personal and professional development as a new healthcare provider. Join me, Dr. Emily Funk Reynolds, as we navigate the challenges young doctors face in treating patients today and work to better ourselves beyond our clinical care. What's up, everyone? Back with another episode of the White Coat Academy. Today, we're going to be talking about four things that you can do right out of school to set yourself up for future success. So let's get right into it. The very first thing that you want to start off with is deciding what your goals are. For so long, your goal has just been to graduate and become a doctor, and now you've done that. So what's next? If you're like me and you're type A, you need goals and a plan to work for. And this is really probably the first time that there's no clear path which also makes it a great time to reassess. Your goals may have changed from when you first started professional school. I personally went into dental school thinking that I was going to be a general dentist, take over my mom's practice, and everything would be set. But uh, somehow along the way, I ended up in ortho residency. So my whole vision for myself that I had going into dental school when I decided to pursue that path is now much different and that doesn't mean that that's not going to continue to happen throughout your career you know people change your goals change but you need to have somewhat of a plan to make sure that you're always progressing the things that you set now are not set in stone as we all know life is fluid and you may end up somewhere completely different but this can help you to feel like you're continually working towards a goal and ensure that you're always advancing in your career. So take a minute, reflect on what you want your overall life to look like. What do you want your typical day to be? What kind of goals you have? Do you want to have a family, travel? Um, Just kind of take stock of where your priorities are right now. And once you figure out kind of where you'd like to head, then think about it the same way as you did getting into your program. So what actionable steps can you take to work towards that goal? So for example, I am in residency for orthodontics. Now to get into ortho, the kind of unsaid requirement is that you have to do research. So during my dental school, I did a research project. Now I admittedly don't love research and I probably wouldn't have done it if I didn't quote need to to get into an ortho residency so think of it as kind of what are the prerequisites for this goal that I want to achieve so maybe you want to own a practice what do you need to get there well first you need capital so maybe that means you need to budget a little bit more so that you will be able to make that investment in a given time frame. Probably it's not something that you're going to be able to do right out of school, but if you take steps to set that money aside, then maybe 
five, 10 years into practice, you'll have enough money to do that. So what's another thing you need to own your own practice? Well, you need to be pretty confident in your skill set. So maybe you want to pursue a career or take on a job that has mentorship opportunities and that will help you to build your clinical skills. Maybe there's a senior doctor that can teach you things and help you get set so that when you're ready to go off on your own, you feel confident in your clinical abilities. The point is to just continually be moving in the right direction. So even if you're not in a position to do all the things that you ultimately want to, you can take steps now so that when the time comes, you will actually be able to make those a reality. All right, so step number two is probably the most dreaded, and that is make a plan for paying off your student loan debt. We pretty much all have it, and as doctors, we probably have a pretty considerable amount of debt. And if you don't make a plan for that, uh, things could get a little ugly in the future. So usually you have about six months from when your program ends before you have to make any payments on your student loans. So if you're still in that period, use that time to figure out how much you'll be making and how much you can afford to pay each month. This might involve making a budget, which is something that you may have been putting off and we'll have more on budgeting in future episodes but the main thing is actually figuring out how much do you owe and you don't have to be ashamed to admit that you might not know exactly how much your student loan debt is you would be surprised at how many people actually don't really know so the way that you can find out is to run a credit report on yourself. Now, I mean a credit report, not just your credit score. So if you run a credit report on a site like Credit Karma or one of those, um, they're usually free, but it will tell you all of the outstanding credits that you have. So that will help you identify your federal versus private loans, who the lenders are, and how much um, you owe to exactly all of those lenders. So what you want to look at then, once you know your total debt is, which loans have the most interest? Is it advantageous to refinance? Well, I would say probably right now it's not advantageous to uh, do anything with any federal loans just because of the government stimulus packages um, due to coronavirus. So it's probably in your favor to leave those federal loans as is. Um, some other options are joining a public service loan forgiveness program. Now, what that is, is you get forgiveness on the remaining balance of any federal direct loans that you have after you've made 120 qualifying monthly payments while working for a qualifying employer, which is usually a government organization or a nonprofit organization. However, you have to be working for them full time. We will have a ton more resources on student loans in the future because I know it's such a big topic, but um, you actually can, if you are going to do PSLF, start 
that process while you're still in residency. So definitely something not to sleep on if you're interested in going that route. Um, another thing is that even if you're not going to do PSLF and you want to start making payments on your loans, if you are able to, I would recommend doing that while in residency um, just because the interest accrues and it adds up quickly. So if you can't pay during residency, um, you can defer your loans, but the interest will continue to accrue. So just for an example, let's say you have a $100,000 loan with um, 6% annual interest rates. So after one year, say you're in residency and not making any payments, then you've accrued $6,000 worth of interest and your total loan will then be 106 k So then year two, you have 106 k and then there's another 6% annual interest on that. So at the end of year two, your total will be 112360000 And that's because your interest that year was 6% of the 106k. So now the total interest that you accrued that year was $6,360. So as you can see, the interest can start to add up quick and many of us have more than $100,000 in loans. So if you can make any payments, um, try to do that. Now, if you can't make the full payment um, because your income is not that high during residency, you can switch to an income-driven repayment plan for your federal loans, which will lower your monthly payment um, based on your income. The downside of that is that your monthly payments may be so low that they may not cover all of the interest that your loan is accruing. Um, so your loan balance may still go up even though you're making payments. However, it won't go up as much as it would if you're not making any payments at all. Student loans are a little scary and overwhelming, especially if you have quite a bit to pay off. The best option for you is somewhat individualized depending on your situation, um, but the point is that you just want to make a plan. Do your research and come up with a plan to start paying that down because if you don't watch that compound interest it can really pile up over time and the decisions that you make early on can really add up to quite a bit of money in the long run all right so moving on to action number three it's another super fun one and that is insurance it's super important to get proper insurance early on in your career. The three main ones that you want to worry about are disability insurance, life insurance, and malpractice insurance. In my opinion, the most important of those three is your disability insurance. And that's because if you can't work, you can't make money. And all of the time that you've invested in this education and getting here will be all for naught. When it comes to disability insurance, there are a ton of nuances, but again, we're sticking with the basics today. So the two main types are any occupation disability and own occupation disability. And this is an important distinction because any occupation means that you have to be disabled to the point where you can't work at all in any job in any capacity, where own occupation 
you can collect a benefit if you can't work in your own profession, even if you can work other jobs. So this means that if you are a doctor and you have an injury that won't let you actually practice, but you want to, say, be a professor at a medical school or you want to consult for a pharmaceutical company, you can still collect disability um, because you're not able to be a active working doctor, even though you can still have a full-time job doing something else. The only other two types of coverage that I do want to mention is residual and partial disability insurance. So residual coverage means that you are paid according to the amount of income lost because of your disability. So if you're able to work part-time for whatever reason, but not full-time, this payment would be based on the difference between what you earn working part-time versus what you used to earn working full-time. On the other hand, um, partial disability is not based on a loss of income, but is instead based on a percentage of the benefit that you would earn if you were totally disabled. And kind of a standard percentage is 50%, but it can vary considerably. Now, the point of this is that you need to get disability coverage while you're young and you don't have any health issues. um, Because if you do have some type of health issue, um, even if it's something that is not a major disease, it can lead you to not be able to get coverage at all in the future or to have exclusions on your policy. So um, say you have, you're in a car accident and you go to physical therapy because you had an injury to your neck, technically um, the insurance company can an exclusion about anything that may happen with your neck in the future and you would not have any coverage for that so the key is to just get a policy early even if it is a low policy you can always upgrade it in the future just to lock in your ability to have coverage you may think that you're young and healthy now but disability insurance is really just safeguarding against any future problem that you may have whether it be a life-altering illness or something more minor. All right, so moving on to malpractice insurance. This is pretty much a requirement. Um, The level of coverage that you need may vary by your state, and depending on where you're working, your employer may provide it for you, but you still need to be aware of the type of coverage you have because it can influence um, steps that you need to take in the future. So there's two main types of malpractice. The first is called claims made coverage and this provides protection for any covered incident when both the incident and the claim occur while your policy is active. On the other hand, there is occurrence coverage and that provides any protection for incidents that occur while your policy is active regardless of when the claim is made. So that's an important distinction. Um, To kind of illustrate that, let's look at an example. So let's say we have two doctors, Dr. A and Dr. B, and Dr. A has claims made coverage 
while Dr. B has an occurrence policy. And both doctors have active coverage from 2010 to 2020. Then for whatever reason, they end their coverage at the end of 2020. So both doctors are covered for any claims that happen during that time. So anytime between 2010 and 2020 that either doctor treated a patient and then they made a claim within that window, they would both be covered. Now, let's say both these doctors had a patient where they delivered care in 2012 um, and the claim was made in 2019. So we're still in that window and they are both covered. But let's look at that same scenario, same patient that they saw in 2012, but the patient doesn't make the claim until 2021 when their coverage, their policies ended um, for both in 2020. So in that case, Dr. B, who has the occurrence policy, would be covered, but Dr. A, who has a claims made policy, would not be covered. And that's because Dr. A's policy stopped being active in 2020. So anything, any claims that are made against him after that period are not covered, even though in 2012, when the incident occurred, he was uh, covered by the policy. So this is a really important distinction to make because most claims that occur do not happen uh, right when the incident occurs. A lot of times there is a lag uh, between the actual incident and when the claim is filed. So you might be thinking, oh, okay, well, if my employer is going to dictate what kind of coverage I have, that kind of sucks because what if I want occurrence coverage versus claims made coverage? So there is kind of a back-end solution to the claims made issue and that is tail coverage. So tail coverage uh, provides protection for any malpractice claims that are reported after the provider's policy expires or was ended. So that will cover you if your claims made policy ends um, but is not usually needed if you have an occurrence plan. So let's go back to our same example with Dr. A and Dr. B. If we're looking at the situation where the care was delivered in 2012 and then the patient made a claim in 2021, Dr. B, who has the occurrence policy, is covered. Now, Dr. A, before, was not covered under just the claims made policy. However, if Dr. A got a tail when he ended his policy, he then would be covered. So it provides additional protection, but it also requires additional payment to purchase um, at the end or termination of a claims made policy and it is generally expensive. So this is something to look out for if you are signing an agreement with uh, another company to work for them. What kind of coverage are they giving you malpractice wise? Um, because a lot of practices will require that you go under their group coverage plan are they giving you the option to buy tail coverage at the end? And a lot of times they might even require it. So you might be obligated to purchase this tail coverage if you have a claims made policy and it can be quite expensive. So that's something to keep in mind when negotiating with potential employers.
Then our final type of insurance is life insurance. I'm not going to spend too much time on life insurance uh, because depending on your home situation, it might not be as important for you right now. But basically, there are two types. Um, There's whole life insurance, and that gives you production for your entire life. And then there's term life insurance, which um, provides coverage for a set time frame. And then after that, it's no longer covered. So basically what life insurance does is it provides a safety net of income in case you die and your family has to survive without your income. So um, if your spouse substantially out earns you, then maybe this is not such a big issue for you. But if you have um, dependents or people that you know would be in a hardship if you died, then life insurance is something that you should invest in. You want to make sure that your policy has enough to cover funeral expenses, any outstanding debts that you might have, like your mortgage, um, and any other goals that you may have with your partner, like saving for your kid's future college fund. I know all of this insurance stuff isn't the most fun, and it's stuff that you hope you never need, but it's one of those things that if you don't have it, and God forbid you do have an experience that you wish you had coverage for, you will really be kicking yourself at that time. Alright, so enough with the doom and gloom. What is my final tip for things to do when you're just getting started? That is to join an organized professional society. Most professions have organization at the national, state, and local level, and I think this is a great opportunity for networking and continuing education. Resources are awesome in a lot of these organizations and can provide you with things like mentorship from older doctors, um, practice management tips. These are things that are really invaluable to young doctors to not only learn clinical pearls, but also get involved in the community and take more of an active role in your profession. A lot of new grads, I think, skip out on these professional societies because they don't see the importance and membership often does cost money. However, a lot of the societies will have discounts for new grads and I think you can more than make that up if you really take advantage of the full resources that they have. Another important thing is that these are the people that advocate for your profession in the federal and local governments and those societies will have greater power in numbers and promote the legislation that is really going to affect the way that you practice in the future. So a lot of times these organizations tend to be full of older professionals because I think with our generation it is kind of dying out and decreasing popularity but these are the people that are setting the framework for how our professions are going to be practiced in future years so i implore you to not let your future practice be dictated by people who are going to be retiring in a decade or so you want to make sure that you have an active voice in the future of your profession On the other end of that, because these organizations are typically full of 
older doctors, they get really excited when young people show interest in being a part of the organized society and can offer you really, really great advice um, and mentorship. So I think it's a really untapped resource that you can benefit a lot from early on in your career. All right, so I know we touched on a lot of things. So just to summarize, four things that you can do to set yourself up for success right out of school is one, reassess your goals and make a plan. Two, come up with a way that you're going to tackle your student loan debt. Three, get proper insurance coverage to protect yourself against any future issues. And four, join an organized professional society within your field. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today, guys, and hope this provided you with some great initial guidance. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and share with your friends. Leave us a rating on iTunes so that more people can find the podcast and make sure that you're subscribed so that you don't miss out on any future episodes. All right, we'll catch you guys in the next one. Thank you.